don't know Murray, uh, Murray's the founding uh, treasurer uh, of St Augustine's. He's been with us basically on the, you know, at the ground floor. And in fact, uh, I remember one time Murray uh, called me as we were kind of getting St Augustine's together. And we're thinking about, hey, where are we going to um, station ourselves as a church? And Murray was driving um, along a road, and there was a sign up outside of a church in Greyland, St. Columbus, that said, uh, I think like, save our church. And uh, Murray gets on the phone and says, hey, I think we've found the church for us. So we, um, we, uh, we stationed ourselves there in the afternoons. And, you know, really since then, there's been a lot of pizza and wine. You've done a lot of cleaning up. You've raised a lot of funds. Um, you've been a part of the governance committee. We've had a few fights. I've won most of them, as you can imagine. Um, but, you know, you've given us so much as a church. And I just, as we kick off this interview, can you just give us a little insight? How, what was your first encounter with Jesus? And when did things kick off for you in that regard? Uh, well, I grew up in the Salvation Army. And uh, if you grow up in the Salvation Army, you learn that serving uh, sort of comes in the DNA. Um, I'm one of those kids you hear a lot of stories about successful entrepreneurs who failed school certificate. Fine. I did it twice. Um, so uh, Mangawao Primary, which is actually Mangawao Primary, Balmoral Intermediate, Auckland Grammar. I was out of zone and uh, Henry Cooper, the headmaster of the time, always resented the fact he'd given up a prime spot that could have been an A-bursary uh, to someone who failed school C twice. The reason I failed it the second time was I actually fell in love with surfing. And um, I recall my father, who was a painter and paper hanger, who worked day and night, uh, saying to me in that year at school, he said, son, you're actually earning more money than I am. I was trading, building, selling boards, fixing up second-hand boards, and doing pretty well. Uh, but surfing today is not what it was then, and um, you end up going down a different direction. Uh, which I did for a number of years. But what actually brought me back to faith was uh, I ended up going back to school. I was, I, to the best of my knowledge, I was the first adult pupil in New Zealand. I had to get written permission from the Minister of Education. Went back to school at 19 and a half, managed to get um, a qualification to get into university. And in my second year at university, uh, flatting at the time, I wasn't on cooking one night, we used to go to the university cafeteria and get a pie and chips. And this particular night, uh, there was an evangelist from the UK called David Watson, who's written a number of books. He deceased, uh, passed away some years ago. And I was with a mate, and we said, oh, blow it, we might as well go and listen to this guy. We're going to go hungry anyway. Uh, changed my life. So uh, that was a night where I came back to faith, and from that point on, really immersed myself in trying to serve the church. Um, but it was a very narrow perspective, which you'll hear about shortly. But that was how I came back to faith. That's amazing. Now, I mean, uh, as you hinted, you have been serving the church amazingly. You've, you know, you've chaired the board of the Salvation Army. You've been um, uh, for a number of years, and then I think 22 years on the uh, recovery church. Oh, sorry, the uh, substance abuse trust. substance abuse yeah. trust involved in uh, the recovery <coughs> church uh, as well. And I think both you and Gay have run. I don't know how many youth groups you've run. And I remember us talking about this, but you'd done the maths on how many people had come through your house through home groups. Yeah. Was it 20,000? Was that right? You'll find it hard to believe, but it's not so much where you go on the journey, it's who comes with you. And I've dragged Gay along uh, for a number of years. And I put myself in this position when I was uh, on the other side of the fence. And when I came onto the right side of the fence, I thought, well, look, if kids are not doing what I was doing on a Saturday night, that's a good thing. 
and during the week. So every time we jumped into something, youth group, home group, business group, whatever, it was weekly. And, you know, Gay would, coffee, tea, whatever. We always did it weekly. And when you get 20, 30, 40 young people every week in your home for 45 weeks of the year, and you do that for 10, 15, or 20 years, it's a lot of people. Uh, what a joy. That's amazing. I remember, um, I don't, you know, pre-COVID, whenever that was, it feels like 2019 <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. I remember you and I having a conversation. I remember we went out for coffee once and you were saying that, hey, I feel that, you know, you'd, you'd, um, you'd kind of left your post at the GC, which was great. You promised us two years. I think we got over three out of you, which was amazing. Um, and you were saying that you were feeling God was calling you onto something new. And then after, uh, in, I think in mid-2020, after the, uh, you visited your brother-in-law uh, in Wellington, who was um, well at the time, I think terminally ill at the time, mm. you had it confirmed <clears throat> to you that God was leading or speaking to you about heading down a new track. And mm. I just wonder if you'd just share a little bit of what that was like and this kind of new sense of what, where God is taking you. I don't want to offend anyone this morning, but what I'm about to say probably will offend you. But if I can't be honest with you, um, I can't be honest with myself. So the journey actually happened quite quickly. But about 15 months ago, I was introduced to a group of people uh, who were predominantly Maori. I was invited to sit around a table with some leading politicians from a particular party who I've never voted for. But to give them an insight... <laughs> To give them an insight as to what the sort of average Joe Blow was thinking about pre-election, in fact, they considered me to an average Joe Blow, I guess I'll take as a compliment. Uh, but through that, I started to meet some interesting uh, Maori people. Now, what I'm about to say to you, may, you may find offensive, but it's the truth. Uh, the song from Aaron Hardy we sang a little while ago, 15 months ago, I would have only sung the English version. The fact that I saw St. Augustine starting to introduce Toreo, had a bit of a struggle with that. I had nothing to do with Maori people my entire uh, life up to this point. I had never employed any. I hadn't gone to school with any. I had no neighbours who were Maori. And yet there was this whole part of our New Zealand culture that I had absolutely no relationship with or insight with. Uh, somehow, a paramount chief, I got to know the daughter of a paramount chief, um, uh, who happens to have a, a partner who's a fellow I play golf with occasionally. So I'm in Wellington, and a kamatua from Treasury uh, turned up to the house of my, sis my sister and brother-in-law, and the Paramount Chief had heard of my growing interest in uh, all things Māori, and they'd done a bit of due diligence and found out that my time as Chairman of the Salvation Army Advisory Board, I'd had a lot to do with the drug and alcohol program, we had built a chapel, we had done a number of upgrades to the facilities. And unbeknown to me, uh, there were a number of Maori involved, of course, in those programs. So when they did their DD, they felt that I was worthy of an honour, which is extremely rare for those of you who know anything about Maoridom. This is a greenstone Panamu Medi. The Paramount Chief commissioned it from a rock which uh, Naitahu have under their guardianship in the West Coast. It was designed to his specification um, and it was gifted to me by this Kamatua. Um, the interesting thing about it is it was actually named 
Now, I had never met this paramount chief, so I had a letter of authenticity from him, and the uh, name of this Mary is Hono, uh, which means to bring people together. So that effectively was a major turning point for me because I suddenly saw an opportunity for me to now get involved through these loose links that have become very strong links for me to become involved with Māori. And through that association with several Kamata of the Papakura Marae, people in the north, I have learned that only 20 minutes drive from where I live is poverty. Um, in the extreme, poverty I've never been exposed to. It's actually quite shocking, but I am privileged to be chair of a trust that has a considerable amount of money, which is now assisting um, Māori, uh, our dear friend Lyndon Drake, uh, through the outreach he's making into South Auckland uh, to try and make a real difference one family at a time. But I have to say that what I'm seeing in South Auckland is um, heartbreaking. When we think about uh, South Auckland, you know, I know that, you know, uh, you live down at the viaduct and uh, I remember seeing in the back of your car once we're having coffee, a whole lot of boxes stuffed uh, full of, I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I remember blankets being on the top of it. And I said, where, where are you going with all these? <laughs> maybe Gay's finally kicked you out. <laughs> maybe you're sleeping in your car. But uh, the saint this Don't year... Don't even suggest it. <laughs> <laughs> I won't. But you're heading out to Papakura Marae with those blankets. And can you tell us the story why? Well, just last week was a classic example. So we've uh, picked up a relationship with Sir Edmund Hillary College. Now, they have a series of classes who go on a weekly camp, and a couple of weeks ago we were advised that a group of kids didn't have a blanket or a sleeping bag and couldn't go, let alone appropriate clothing. And one of the stories from a family of five, uh, solo mum, five children. Now, 15 months ago I would have said, you make your own way. I've heard of the Treaty of Waitangi, there's more money than Croesus. I'm not sure where it's all being spread, but surely you can work out your own problems. You know, the government's all over it, health, education, you name it. The reality is, in fact, of course, it never hits ground zero. So this mother of five uh, had two kids uh, who were supposed to go on this uh, camp, and they couldn't. The reason was that they top and tail in a bed. And if the blanket had gone with the eldest child going to camp, the one remaining in the bed was going to be cold. Uh, so we bought uh, 10 sleeping bags and, and fitted out a bunch of kids. But, you know, that level of poverty is... is it's very moving. It is very moving. It yeah. is very moving. And, you know, there's... I mean, I know that you've been... Um, not only at Papakura Marae, you've been down uh, the East Coast and you're involved in kind of generating some uh, businesses and stuff up north uh, as well. And, you know, we, there is kind of this work that you and the Trust is doing at kind of ground zero through Papakura Marae. There's kind of food security that we're, you're uh, dipping into as well and, and housing. But in terms of business opportunities as well, how do you see that fitting into the kind of the wider vision of your engagement with Māori? You know, the, the problem actually is so vast, you think it's, it's impossible to address. So our little motto is one family at a time. If we can help one family at a time, 
uh, we think we can get there. So just this week, um, I was out at Papakura Marae and they were talking about a budgeting service called Christian Budgeting Service, strangely enough. Uh, and there were a stack of files on this desk and I said, look, could I just have a look at a few of the files? So here's a woman who um, had, a, had a protection order uh, for her from the court in Invercargill. A gang member was a partner, uh, had put her in hospital, all her teeth had been uh, knocked out so the health, health system had paid for those. But he had put one of the children in hospital. So they relocated up here and there was no support. So she went to one of these um, firms in the South Auckland who offer quick and easy money. So she borrowed $3,000 uh, with no advice because they had no one to talk to. So the $3,000 overnight became 3,900. There was a 300 odd dollar application fee. There was a $350 confirmation fee. There was a couple of hundred dollars to take to the next step. So she starts off with three and ends up with four overnight. Every time she receives a text, I mean, I had a look at the sheet from this finance company. Every time she receives a text, she's charged 20 cents. Every time they write her a letter, it's $25. Every time she gets a default notice, it's $75. Now, for you and I, that might be a night out for a dinner. I mean, what's 20 cents? What's $75? For her, this debt is now at $7,500. She's paying $15 a week when she can afford it. She misses one payment, it's $75. She will never, ever get out of debt. And so uh, one idea we have is I'm going to start, uh, I'm going to find the right person to do it. I'm going to start talking to the banks to see if we can reorganise on a more structured basis how we can finance um, some of these people in desperate need. We're opening up some work opportunities in the north, so just one example. Um, there's a marae up there that is called undressed. In other words, they've never been able to afford to put their carvings on the front, uh, on the front of their marae. And the elders have um, conserved a significant quantity of um, totara over the years. They have a master carver, but no money. And this wonderful Christian master carver has got seven or eight apprentices, and he's teaching them week by week uh, how to do carving. And so this trust is going to pay $350,000 to employ these young carvers and the master carver and buy the wood and dress the marae over the next three years. And we hope that that will just start to lift some of their aspirations, train some of these young people who in the north have no hope whatsoever of finding a safe and secure job. And you'll wonder why the gang numbers are exploding up there, uh, why the health issues are so uh, extraordinary. I went into a house a couple of months ago in the north. I won't tell you who the landlord was. I had to step across the joists because it was so cold the previous year they had had to tear the wood up, the wood up on the wooden floor to get down to the lounge uh, to build the fire. And so there were kids, if you dropped down, it was a couple of metres, uh, there were kids who had to step across these joists uh, to get to the back of the house because they had no other way of heating a home. Incredible. It is actually incredible, isn't it? And you, um, I mean, it's wonderful the transformation, Murray, that you know, I've, I've seen in you and the way this is. I don't know, this exposure, being welcome onto uh, Marae has really 
and who changed, changed you, changed your heart, given you, you know, really, a perspective really, I suppose, you know, that you hadn't had before. Mm. And, um, you know, I think it's really encouraged me. And I, I want to ask a question, you know, you, as you've been welcomed into, onto Marae, Miha and your growing relationship with Māori and, and, and in the business field and in, and, and, and in helping, how has that changed you, you feel, in terms of your discipleship to Jesus? I think if there's one lesson we can all learn from this is you're never too old. Um, <laughs> and you're I a actually, very young 17. <laughs> <laughs> I actually feel ashamed that uh, there was this aspect of New Zealand culture that I ignored for so long. Um, I've embraced it, and I've actually fallen in love with it. Uh, the language is beautiful. The spirituality of the Maori people I'm meeting is incredible. You know, before we eat, they say a karakia. When we finish and go to our motel room, they say a karakia. We hop in the car to drive somewhere, they say a karakia. They then th say a karakia for our safe arrival. Um, their spirituality is extraordinary. <clears throat> Um, I've become a conservationist from having a plastic business for many years. Their love, I mean, I've never understood this is my mountain, this is my river, what a lot of rhubarb, you know, I've just doesn't make sense. Actually, it does make sense. And when you get to understand their love of the land, which I have historically just written off as being, I want more, it's a mere fantasy, it's actually not. Mm. They relate to the conservation of the land and, and the well-being of nature in such a way that it's incredibly inspiring. And we, as Pākehā, can learn a great deal about that for the conservation mm. for the future. But what changed in me was initially the presentation of this wonderful meeting, uh, the honour that was bestowed upon me to, to take this forward. Mm. But what I'm learning each day is just the wonderful, heartfelt joy uh, at my age, to be able to serve people once again and to help where I can, to look at a family at a time, to try and uh, give them some aspirations, some hope, talk to their kids. Uh, it's, it's pretty dire out there, and it's a 20-minute drive from where we are this morning. Yeah, amazing. Well, I want to um, pray with you. I want to thank you for being open to come and share uh, this morning uh, with us. As we kind of take the first, kind of dip our toes into this journey as we rediscover you know, what the gospel has meant for Aotearoa New Zealand, what that means for our partnership with Māori. Um, you know, I think you've been a real inspiration, Murray. You know, um, I hope it doesn't feel like a backhanded compliment that, you know, that, you know, here you are, at, you're at 70, you're, and it's just been a rediscovery for you. And mm. I think, you know, um, it can be a rediscovery for uh, each one of us and the richness and the perspective that that, um, that that change brings is, you know, really overwhelming. And I think it is something that we just need to increasingly grow in, you know, as a church. And I just want to thank you for, again, being brave enough to jump in and to, you know, into the deep water, not, not really knowing how, how it's going to go and, and off you've gone. If you were going to give us one encouragement as a church, what would you, what would you say? I know it's tried to say it, but God is amazing. Mm. Um, if we have our hearts and minds open, he can do extraordinary things. Uh, the question is, do we have our hearts and minds open? Mm. And uh, mine was opened a little bit late, uh, later in life, but 
you're a lot younger than me, most of you, heart and mind being open, God's got great, uh, great things in store for each and every one of us. I know that for a fact. Um, and it may be the path that I've gone down, it could, be well something, it could well be something else. But he is an amazing God. He's faithful. He will direct you if you're open to it. Amazing. Hey, let's stand together. Let's pray for Murray, and then we're going to take communion together.